after that miraculous day of Pentecost, the number of Jesus' followers ballooned from 120 in Acts 1 to 3,120 in Acts 2. That is rapid church growth. These two chapters set a precedent for how faithfully practicing the ordinary can lead to extraordinary moves of the Spirit. It would appear all they were doing in Acts 1, for the most part, was waiting for God and praying to God. And then in Acts 2, God answered. They met together in Acts 1 to pray frequently, fervently. They also met together to fill Judas's vacant position as a disciple. They nominated two candidates. They prayerfully cast lots, which would kind of be like drawing straws in our day, like flipping a coin. And since they prayed before casting lots, God directed the outcome. The church really had their first business meeting in Acts chapter 1, where they selected a new disciple for the first Pentecostal church of the New Testament. Kind of a long name. They're going to work on that one. These ordinary events, or seemingly ordinary, led to the supernatural outpouring of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, the first time when God would fill people's hearts with His Spirit. This same precedent can be seen at the end of Acts 2. After the day of Pentecost, Luke recorded, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. After a tremendous revival, these new Christians devoted themselves to just doing faithfully ordinary practices as a Christian community. But the outcome was far from ordinary. Our good friend, the historian and theologian Luke, he recorded supernatural signs, miracles, wonders, Acts 2, verse 43, and supernatural compassion for one another, Acts 2, verses 44 through 45. Acts 2 is such a rich chapter. Believers volunteered their money, their property, other resources to the community of faith and to those who were in need. And all of this happened as a result of faithfully practicing ordinary spiritual disciplines of worship and fellowship within this newborn New Testament church. Faithful. Faithfulness attracted God's attention and blessing. It was not personality and charisma. It was faithfulness. Acts 2 verse 47 reads, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The result of ordinary practices like prayer, fellowship, and worship, along with extraordinary miracles and ministries, was salvation regularly extended to others. That was the humble and yet powerful supernatural beginnings of God's Spirit-filled, Spirit-led church. And it was just the beginning. We're going to get to hear more of the story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day on this formed weekend. This is the weekend where we train teachers in the local church through Formed Conference 2023. If you've not yet registered, go to formed.upci.org. There you'll find sessions from 17 experienced, effective presenters who will teach us how to better teach children, youth, and adults. All that formed.upci.org. We are here in this beautiful series called A Glorious Church. And today's episode is entitled, The Purpose of the Church, and it's found, (laughs) no surprise, in the book of Acts. This one is found in Acts 4, verse 20, where the disciples came together 
and said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And this follows right after the religious elite of their day told them, You will never say his name again. And they said, Oh, everything we've seen and heard is a result of the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3. Jesus healed a beggar who was lame from birth. Miracles were everywhere. They were like sands on the sea. Everyone everywhere could see the hand of God, miracles, signs, and wonders all over Jerusalem. Peter and John did not need to wait and invite the beggar who was lame from birth to their church services. Peter and John took their church service to him. And after this miracle and after Peter's follow-up sermon, the number of Christians grew to roughly 5,000 members. Acts 4 verse 4. When we take church to others, we can impact them significantly through the ministry into which God calls every one of us, bringing us to our first question. What is the connection between church unity and church growth? How can a church grow in unity and then extend that unity to those outside the faith community? Our world loves and wants and seems to long for unity. Let's stop fighting. Let's stop being divided. And the church all along has been saying, let's do Let's follow Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And as long as we are following him within our church family, we should be unified one with another. Peter and John's prayer for this beggar who was lame from birth, as well as Peter's sermon, garnered the attention of the Sanhedrin. That was the religious council of the Jews. They were also the ruling council. They were the high court of religious leadership in Judaism. The council of elite Jews brought Peter and John in for judgment. The Romans were the political rulers, but beyond that, they really did not want to deal with the religious disputes. They, they did not want to get involved in all that. Since Rome didn't want to get into all the mire of religious law and rule, that enabled, emboldened, empowered the Sanhedrin tremendously, even under Roman government. The temple guard jailed Peter and John overnight and took them before the Sanhedrin the very next morning. The public came together and supported Peter and John in that trial. And the man who was formerly known as lame was standing with them. Just think about that sentence for a moment. The man who used to be lame from birth, who had never walked, had never run, after the name of Jesus was called over him, and he rose up, he was standing beside Peter and John. Standing. Did I mention he was standing? He was lame before, but he was standing now. Consider the tension Peter and John had felt as they stood before the many of the same men who sentenced Jesus to crucifixion. These are the same ones who cast their vote to crucify Jesus. And yet Peter does not seem one bit afraid. He responded to the Sanhedrin boldly, and he emphasized how the power manifested in the name of Jesus caused healing to happen for and here we go to this beautiful verse we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. The Sanhedrin said, You'll never say his name again. And Peter said, It's the only name I know. The Sanhedrin, they didn't know what to do with that because there's a lame man standing. So they removed Peter and John from the chamber and they conferred. They had their little conference on the mound. And Luke gives us a camera and a microphone into their closed-door conference, their executive session. The council was afraid. They were afraid the public would revolt. 
because this religious fever was heightened as the Christians were going around and they were doing good and God was healing and working miracles. And they knew if they sentenced Peter and John, if they punished Peter and John, that the the public would revolt. There'd be rebellion. So when the council allowed Peter and John to return, they commanded them, you will never speak in that name again. Do not say the name of Jesus. And <laughs> I think Peter and John looked at him and said, oh, you said the name. And then Peter and John replied, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 4 verses 19 through 20. I'm sorry, guys, but all I can do is tell you what I've seen and heard. And what I've seen and heard is Jesus heals. Jesus saves. Peter and John were committed to sharing what they had seen and heard as witnesses concerning Jesus Christ. Peter and John left that council chamber and they returned to their fellow followers of Jesus. And they told him, hey guys, guess what they said we can't do? They said we can't speak and preach and teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they, they probably just looked at each other and laughed. And they said, it's the only name I know. That church was over 5,000 members strong. They came together in unity and prayer. And during their prayer, they recited the first two verses of the second psalm. It allows us to see how early Christians saw themselves, the Jews, they saw the world, they saw their place in the plan of God. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm that discusses the opposition Israel faced from the nations like Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, and so on. Since God set his chosen king in Jerusalem, Israel cannot be overcome by the nations. We read that in Psalm 2 verse 6. They were looking to the word of God for hope and comfort, and they found it. They quoted the psalm because it displays how the meaning had been transformed for them due to Jesus' ministry. Early Christians saw the Jews as the nations, and they saw Jesus as God's chosen messianic king. The Sanhedrin absolutely opposed the Christians, but the church had unshakable faith that God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, would overcome. They began to see the Sanhedrin's opposition as futile. They weren't trying to please them, neither were they trying to be disrespectful. They were just trying to obey God. And due to this and the power of the community they all shared, they continued practicing and preaching their faith with boldness, bringing us to our second question. How does your church see itself? And how does that affect the behavior of the church? If we see ourselves as the minority and we see ourselves as just a group of people huddled together waiting for Jesus to come back, we probably won't make much of a difference in our world. But if we see ourselves as blood-bought, spirit-filled, spirit-led, and we are doing the work of God in this world, no matter how upside down the world might seem to be, no matter how dark it might be, if we see ourselves as Jesus called us, the light of the world, we'll realize that no matter how dark it is, light always wins. Think about what was going on in the life of these disciples. There was a traumatic arrest, public arrest, public incarceration, public judgment in the council chamber from the Sanhedrin. And yet Peter and John rejoined their faith community, and that ignited a further zeal for God's work. Early Christians did not practice an individualistic type of Christianity, which is often the practice in North America. Rather than praying for God to strengthen them individually, the Christians prayed for the Spirit of God to strengthen the community. They understood their ability to testify and share the gospel was not based on what they could do as individuals. It was based on what they could do as a community of faith. That emphasis of community is found all throughout the book of Acts. It's clear in how believers shared their hearts and their minds as well as their money, their property, their food. They brought everything together and ministered to each other. 
When their church service was over, they didn't head to KFC and then head back home and care for their families. And man, we can't wait to get together next Sunday. Ooh, what a time we're going to have. They came together all the time throughout that week, mutually providing for one another and others who were in need. That kind of selfless care and compassion doesn't just come through human effort. That comes through the, the Spirit of God. Other societies have tried to organize some kind of a comparable movement, and the outcome has failed socialist states. But when God is leading and individuals abandon individualism to embrace community through free will, the outcome is miraculous signs and wonders. Just as we practice oneness in our doctrine, there must be oneness in our practice. We must be a community of faith, not just individuals. But that's a major part of what makes Christianity a powerfully transformative life. Here's a question. How is your church encouraging a culture that values community despite the heavy cultural emphasis of individualism in the world? And some people confuse communism here with community and koinonia or fellowship. It's not the same thing. Koinonia is so much stronger than communism ever hoped to be. Communism says what's yours is mine. I'll take it. Koinonia says what's mine is yours. I'll share it. And we don't see this level of koinonia or community necessarily after in Acts. But remember, many of these newborn believers were not from Jerusalem. They came from all around the world. We read that in Acts chapter 2. And when they were there on the day of Pentecost and God changed their lives, they did not want to leave. So the disciples and others were sharing what they had to minister to this brand new newborn church. One key doctrine, one key tenet of faith that separates Pentecostal faith from Reformed and mainline Protestant tradition is the doctrine of cessationism. As the name suggests, cessationism is the teaching that the gifts of the Spirit, as we read in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, have ceased. This understanding of cessationism was originally formulated by John Calvin, and then it was reasserted by a Reformed theologian, B.B. Warfield who likely reasserted this doctrine in direct response to the modern Pentecostal movement that began in the early 20th century. The lack of spiritual gifting and the activity of the Holy Spirit in other faith traditions is not only a matter of theological doctrine, but it's also a lack of experience. When Christians do not seek the gifts of the Spirit, those gifts don't appear. And so some are tempted to say, well, I've never experienced it, therefore it can't happen. But when Christians began seeking the gifts of the Spirit and just began seeking the Spirit himself during the latter half of that 19th century, they reappeared. The opposite of cessationism is continuationism. That's a long, that's a scrabble winner right there. That argues the gifts of the Spirit have continued without end since the day of Pentecost. This Pentecostal experience is the living embodiment of continuationism as we strive to continue the practice of Christianity as we see in the book of Acts. Here's another question for you, and this is a community of faith question. How does your church intentionally construct an atmosphere where the miraculous can happen at any time, in any place? One as Pentecostals see the example of the early church rather than church tradition, rather than ecumenical creeds, rather than popular theories on leadership as normative for all churches. Essentially, the record of the church presented by Luke and Acts is a historical document, but it's more than just history. The book of Acts contains a template for an apostolic church and the knowledge, practices, and structure needed to sustain it. You want to know how the church should look? Look in Acts. And we recognize there are emerging differences, such as culture. There are advancements in science and technology. 
changes in people's worldviews, but many of the practices of the apostolic church will remain the same as we see in the book of Acts. Just to quote somebody from the South, if it ain't broke and it ain't broke, don't fix it. As early Christians began to be persecuted, they never abandoned gathering together for fellowship, for worship, for prayer as a united community of faith. I remind us of what it was like during the pandemic. Worshiping together apart was difficult. But to be safe and keep everybody healthy, we had to adapt to live streaming, and we had Pentecostal preachers preaching to a camera lens that could not say amen, and that was a challenge for some. Churches recognized the need to maintain continuity of community, and we found creative ways to stay connected, to effectively serve God, to serve our brothers and our sisters and our surrounding community. We had to adapt, and yet we did. No matter what it takes, let's never allow anything to disrupt the community of faith. When they prayed, the house was shaken where they were assembled together. God was in their midst. As they continued to grow and they faced further persecution, it was difficult to keep up with everybody and care for everybody. So in Acts chapter 6, the apostles recognized the need and they appointed seven individuals to distribute food to those in need. And keep in mind that early church did not choose between advancing the gospel and caring for the physical needs of its community. They did both, and they did both of them very well. The letter James wrote that bears his name teaches believers that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, James 1 verse 27. It's not just enough to stay pure through our doctrinal integrity, through our teaching and preaching. It's not just enough to just make sure we're okay. It's not just enough to allow the world to keep from corrupting the church and our values. We should also preach that the church should bless and better our world. I remind us of a question I asked perhaps in a previous episode. If your church closed tomorrow, would anyone besides those in your church miss it? I surely hope your community would say, man, we were so much better. We were so much stronger as a community when that church was here. If you look through history, you'll find that they said of the Christians that they were just kind and they did so much good for the world around them. The ancient world was very much patriarchal where women and children could not own property or find good paying jobs. So orphans and widows were the most vulnerable and distressed in their society. And yet the church cared for the orphans and the widows. And God has always had a special place in his heart for the orphans and the widows. Whether or not they were part of the faith community, they cared for the orphans and the widows. If we only care for those who think, act, look, and talk like us, then we set conditions on those we love, and Jesus' love has no such parameters. Timothy Bowman, who served as a professor in Bible college, said it like this, We are most like Jesus when we lose our ability to choose whom we love. So here's another question. How is your church currently ministering to the most vulnerable groups in your community? If your church is not providing a ministry to any vulnerable groups, identify the vulnerable groups and discuss a plan to effectively minister to them in their greatest need. That could be the orphans, the widows, the homeless, the addicted, the broken, the hurting, those grieving from loss, those grieving from divorce. However you can minister spiritually and physically to the hungry, to the thirsty, minister. The early church didn't see preaching as more valid or necessary or important than food distribution. 
They recognized people with certain skill sets and giftings needed to be used where they're most useful, and that's exactly what they did. They appointed these seven deacons, which just means servants, to oversee food distribution. They basically ran the food bank. The apostles could focus on their specific calling, which was giving themselves to prayer and ministry of the Word of God. They used the metaphor of the body to better understand the composition and the function of the church because the church is the body of Christ. It consists of many members suited to different tasks. You can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Your eye doesn't do the same thing as the foot. That would be weird if it did. And the foot doesn't do the same thing as the eye. That would be perhaps even weirder. However, we need both for the body to function completely and wholly. The church functions best when members are in the right place, performing the right tasks suited to the callings God has placed in their life. Last question. How can your local congregation intentionally build a community of faith that equally values the contributions of every member? The church is the body of Christ. One person can't do it all. Not even the pastor can do it all. Not even the pastoral team can do it all. We are the physical manifestation of Jesus in this world. So when people encounter us as the church, they should leave as if they have experienced the hands, feet, eyes, and heart of Jesus in action. We can't do it alone. We need each other. Thank God we have each other. And we wrap this up. You've probably heard the name Stephen Hawking. He was a renowned, brilliant modern scientist whose popularity has endured because of the challenges he faced in his life. In 1963, at the young age of 21, Hawking was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. He had just begun his graduate studies. Over time, Lou Gehrig's disease gradually paralyzed Stephen Hawking. His intellect was as strong as ever, but his body struggled with just doing basic essential tasks. He used a speech-generating device that responded to his finger and later responded to his cheek when he could no longer move any of the muscles in either hand. Hawking accomplished more with his disabled body than many accomplished with their functional bodies. He had a drive to overcome adversity. His struggle illustrated just how difficult it is to lose the function of our body. If the parts of the body of Christ are present but not functioning as they ought, the effectiveness of the church's ministry will never reach its full potential. There are a few reasons some parts may not be functioning. Some members may be overworking and not allowing other members to be able to step in and do what they are called to do. We can communicate with our hand. We can communicate with our mouth. If you ever met somebody who communicates with their hand, talks with their hands all the time? <laughs> some people are like, oh, you got to sit on your hands because I just can't focus. But a mouth that speaks too much might not allow hands to be utilized when they're necessary. Also, a church may not value certain ministries equally. A church may not hold jail ministry and children's ministry at the same level of importance. But if they are glorifying God and they're working to make disciples for Him, they're equally valuable to the kingdom of God. Members of a body may not be growing appropriately to perform their key functions. We've all heard of cancer. It's a form of growth in the body, but it's not healthy growth. Cancer grows when the DNA in a cell has been changed and replaced with contrary instructions. And the results are useless masses with no benefit and ultimately quite a bit of harm. Cancerous parts of the body have to be removed to keep the body healthy. When growth occurs contrary to the body of Christ's DNA, the Spirit of God must surgically remove it in order for the body to be healthy. Christians must grow by Scripture, the influence and the leading of the Holy Spirit in the work of the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
That ensures all members of the body of Christ are experiencing healthy growth, are utilized all the time, and develop a competency to work in their unique range of calling and gifting. If we've accepted the calling to be the church, we must acknowledge every member of the body matters and use every member of the body for the glory of God and the holy cause of making disciples. Let's not allow church to become dysfunctional, disproportionate, or diseased, but let's be intentional about pursuing healthy communities of faith where non-Christians can experience the manifestation of Jesus simply by being with and looking at the body of Christ. And let's pray for God to unify us as a church, not only local church, let's pray for that certainly, but as a church globally, that God would do here in North America what he's doing in Africa, and God would do in Asia what he's doing in South America. Let's pray for God to minister to his body and unify us as a church globally and use us to minister to our community where we have been called and planted to minister to our community together. Lord Jesus, bind us together, unify us, just as that church in the book of Acts was so unified and cared one for another and was compassionate toward one another. Unify us as a church, locally. God, in our cities where you have called us, unify us, but also globally. Help us to minister to and hold the hands up of one another all around the world to care for each other in prayer, to care for each other financially. If we have the ability, if you have blessed us to bless others, I pray, Lord, use us. Help us to minister to our community outside of our church family, to be a light, to be salt to our community, to be a blessing to those around us. I pray help us to make an everlasting difference where we are today for the glory of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, here's one simple way you can make a difference around the world. Share this with others. Subscribe, follow, like and click the notify button so you'll never miss any episodes and you'll be able to share it with others. As I mentioned earlier, it's formed weekend. If you've not yet registered or your team is not yet registered, register as individuals or teams at formed.upci.org and you'll learn some great tools and tips and techniques on teaching children, youth, and adults in the local church. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. You can pick up all of the fall curriculum. We have the hardback, which gives all the way through fall through the summer of 2024. You can pick all of that up, as well as children and youth. You can pick up daily devotional guides, lesson guides, resource kits, all of it at PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, GWFL10, you'll get 10% off your entire order. You're welcome. Just a simple way of saying thank you for listening to the God's Word for Life podcast. Next week, we continue this glorious series, A Glorious Church, and we look at the church in action. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.